Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and to offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And so, uh, as you know, I am sponsored by FHE Health, and I want to talk about the great people down at FHE Health. Um, A substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. They are great people. I was just down there about two weeks ago meeting with them and just very impressed with the facilities. And so if you, a loved one, or anyone you know needs help, reach out to them at FHEHealth.com. And so today I have a special guest, and this kind of goes back uh, a little bit into my past. Uh, We have Julie Yaka, and she is with uh, Movement Forward, and and I'm going to introduce you to her, and she can tell you all about her programs. But how we are indirectly related is I worked with Julie's husband many years ago. I want to say maybe 2008, 2009. We worked together at uh, FBI headquarters in in a unit, and just a fantastic guy. And I, I had retired and hadn't heard anything from Dan. Dan's her husband. And, um, Julie, uh, and I don't think that Julie and I had met at the time. I think maybe I'd heard your name, but I don't think we'd met. And then I saw a posting regarding some of the great work that she is doing, and I thought, well, let's have Julie come on the program and tell us about the very important work that she's doing. And um, a lot of it is community work, but we're going to talk about how that community work relates to recovery work that we're doing. So, Julie, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. This is uh, incredibly exciting and a little bit nerve-wracking at the same time. So I uh, I hope I can offer some information and some perspective that might be a little bit more u- unique than what you normally talk about. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different, but uh, mm-hmm. we're going to tie it all together. And yes. no reason to be nervous at all. Okay. Uh, it's just <laughs> you and I talking privately, and then we're going to release it to the entire planet. So there's nothing nice. to be nervous about at all. But right. tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing with Movement Forward and um, and how this relates to the community. Sure. So I arrived at Movement Forward in January. Movement Forward is a um, social change organization. It's a nonprofit in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, one of our focuses, our main focus right now is in the realm of criminal justice. I had met the organization uh, in October of 2020 during what was their inaugural uh, National Faith and Blue Weekend. And it's a program that is meant to rebuild relationships between law enforcement and the communities that they protect and serve. And at the time, I was working for the FBI in Atlanta, and I was sitting as their community outreach specialist, and I was asked to look into the program. And so I reached out to the organization. And at the time, uh, I was also one of my collateral duties. I was also managing the command posts within the field office. And at the time, very historically, the FBI was standing up command posts across the country to support local law enforcement and communities with all of the civil unrest that was going on around the country, uh, given all the um, police-related tragedies. And so standing in uh, command post one evening, and I had just spoken to Movement Forward days before, and I was standing, and it was, I felt like Atlanta was falling around around our ankles, and said to uh, one of my colleagues, I really feel like there's uh, a disconnect in this country, and I don't know what we're going to do to fix it. 
And he said, we just have to do what we can do. That's, there's nothing more we can do. And I remember thinking, that's really not the answer I wanted to hear. And so reached back out to the organization to let them know, because I knew it was an important mission in the reconnecting of those relationships, that I wanted uh, FBI Atlanta to be intimately involved in any of the programming they were going to be doing going into 2021. Well, fast forward a few weeks and I see a job posting for the manager of their law enforcement and criminal justice programs, had an opportunity to speak to the uh, executive staff here at this organization and knew near immediately that I was going to be making a huge leap of faith, uh, walking away from a lifetime of job security and all of my friends and all of my colleagues and my FBI family to chase a mission. Uh, it's a mission that is incredibly large, supported by a very small team here. But everything we do and all of our programming, which is supported um, nationally by all of the uh, by Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice and all the larger uh, law enforcement uh, organizations around the country. Um, I knew that it was a mission that I was going to um, need to be a part of. And so I applied and I won the job and I came in January and immediately hit the ground running and realized it was even bigger than I could ever have imagined the mission. And so, you know, we see divide across the country as it relates to law enforcement and communities. And our mission solely is to find ways to rebuild the bridges and to reconnect the communities. And really, it's more than anything, a movement of reconciliation and recovery across the country. Well, I love that, the, the term reconciliation and recovery. And that's so multifaceted in the, what you're talking about. And there really is a divide in this country, and it affects every aspect of the country. Um, not just, obviously, you know, allegations of police brutality or race relations and things like that. But I, my experience with this type of work and I've noticed it and I and I've been doing work, recovery work for just under a decade now but what I've noticed is that more and more in the recovery world the world in which I live there is that divide as well so for example you know, obviously I have a law enforcement military background when I'm working with people in the community I have to be very careful about what I disclose to them like when I'm in a meeting if I'm in a 12-step meeting I'm very very reluctant to give any information about myself because that will obviously close doors and it's it'll, I think that it's always kind of been there since I've been in recovery, but the last year or so, it has really spiked. I mean, I cannot let anyone know what my background is because it, it just closes those doors. And when I'm when I'm meeting with you, you really need the help. I mean, there's a reason why I'm talking to you at a 12-step meeting or if I'm talking to you in a treatment center. Um, you're there because you desperately need help. I'm there because I'm desperately trying to help you. And the problem that I'm having now with a law enforcement background is people aren't able to see past that. Uh, there's a myriad of reasons why people feel that way, and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll talk about some of those. But it's really hindering my ability to help people, and that's not a good thing. And, uh, you know, so Julie, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Is Like, how can we get back to a place where we all, as Americans, as the American people, can trust one another and get to the point to where we can take help, accept help from people that we're leery of. Because I think that, am I wrong? I think that's where we are right now. Well, I think the country is frozen in fear 
uh, on both sides. I think communities are fearful of police and I think their law enforcement has grown in some ways even fearful of the communities that they are meant to yeah. protect and serve. And so you have fear on both sides, which absolutely breaks down communication. You know, there's, there's an unwillingness, I think, I see across this country and walking towards each other. You know, uh, there are certainly plenty of marches against each other and, and a lot of, you know, yelling and screaming from different corners. But uh, it is, I, I believe, it's just the country is frozen in fear. And it's, you know, we continue to, see, to hear on, you know, social media and traditional media where we should all stand on these topics. And until we just get uh, to that grassroots level in the local communities uh, and get law enforcement and communities talking again, uh, that is when we'll begin the recovery and the, and the reconciliation across this country. Everything we do here, everything that I'm doing now, I manage the law enforcement program. So I'm communicating daily with law enforcement across the country, chiefs, sheriffs, you know, executive directors of chiefs and sheriffs associations. And they're all very hungry and ready to begin this movement uh, and, and coming closer to their communities again. We lean heavily on uh, what we believe is a safe space. Um, we lean on the faith community. Now, our organization is not a religious movement, uh, you know, and not at all, actually. We have uh, all different types of faiths that we lean on I and mean, every faith you can think of. And so, you know, we should look at those spaces as a safe space. And so we lean in on those communities. You have 65 million people across this country who attend some sort of worship service. Those are 65 million people who are being protected by law enforcement in their communities. And so we're trying to get the message to faith leaders across the country, all the while with the law enforcement leaders to say, work together, talk to the communities together, uh, you know, work in that safe space. There was a time when law enforcement was the safe space and we don't see that anymore. No. And so to, to break down the fear, we need to offer safe spaces and, and begin the dialogue there. And so that is why you know, we have programs. I, I we have um, Faith in Blue, the National Faith in Blue Weekend had its inaugural year last year in October at the commencing of um, Community Policing Week, and in the middle of a pandemic, uh, while people were holed up in their homes, they were able to have in this organization a thousand events across 43 states. Uh, with uh, people partnering, law enforcement partnering with faith communities, and so the goal is to bring those two communities together, then to have it branch out to the communities at large, again, to to rebuild that bridge. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And, and as you're speaking, my mind is sort of racing about possibilities here because, Julie, you know that um, a lot of times what brings the public into contact with law enforcement is behaviors that are a result of their use of drugs and alcohol. So right. that's become a, a real problem. We also know, and it's not talked about in the press, the press is not talking about a lot of stuff that's going on in the country right now, but our suicide rate is uh, much higher than it was na a national average on previous years. Depression rates, uh, uh, drug and alcohol overdoses, deaths has skyrocketed over the last year. And this is a real problem. So drugs and alcohol oftentimes leads to interactions with the police, which becomes a very negative connotation from the public, you know, regarding police. And then we have uh, the press kind of fueling the fire and, and stating, you know, there's all this brutality going on around the country. And, and that's a whole another discussion for another day. But the point being is that I, I think and I'll get your thoughts on this, that addressing this issue, maybe this drug and alcohol issue and having 
police, you know, people like me, people like you coming in and, and offering the solutions, you know, a educating the public on the problem and then offering solutions and working with the public. And that may be uh, a bridge, you know, not the only bridge, mm-hmm. obviously, but a bridge towards building that recon- reconciliation with the community to say, hey, you know, we realize that you the public, oftentimes your your reason for having contact with the police in the first place is this issue over here. So let's talk mm-hmm. about this issue and let's talk about programs and we can be a part of that solution that will help reduce this uh, contact, this negative contact that you have right. police, but we are helping you because at the end of the day, when it comes to recovery, when it comes to the work that I do, my job is to help you live a good, healthy, productive, um, fruitful life. And it may be that you get fired from a job. It may be that your family never gets back together. It may be, you know, because there are consequences for actions. However, our all of us, all, our goal should all be for everyone in the community to be as healthy and happy as they can be because it's going to reduce your contact with the police. It's going to make you more productive, which means that our communities at the local level are going to be more productive. And ultimately it's going to, it's it's going to help the the country is, is, uh, uh, you know, in the long run. But I think right now it, it, people look at the police as being the enemy where these are programs where the police can come in and be, part of the solution and build those right. bridges. Cause I know in the work that I do, um, people are very, very leery with me a lot of times when, if they're not law, I, I do a lot of work with law enforcement people, but I work with the public and oftentimes they're very leery until they get to know me and they get to know me through my recovery work and my sincere desire to help them get well. Um, did I arrest people in my career? Absolutely. But my goal always was to try to help these people get better from where they were and make sure we didn't have that interaction again. Um, any thoughts on that and how that you know, your organization could be used to implement these sorts of programs in the community. Well, I think one of the things that we really focus on are those non-enforcement types of contact between law enforcement and the communities. And so, you know, a lot of our programs are about giving people the opportunity just to be with their law enforcement um, agency in their local communities in non-enforcement types of ways. Uh, you know, going back to what I was talking about with uh, Faith and Blue, you know, that programming here, uh, they, we do programming all year long uh, with the culmination of this weekend. And it's about getting communities together uh, in the in in ball games and and, um, con- you know, con- conversations, hard conversations. I say all the time. And actually, someone just said this to me, and it may have been my husband who said, Hard conversations benefit people on both sides. You know, you may engage, you may be the one engaging the conversation that's going to be, you think it's going to be a really hard conversation, but the person on the receiving end of that hard, hard conversation is going to receive something as well. And so, um, you know, we're, we're talking about trying to bring people together to have these conversations in non-enforcement times. And so we've gotten so far away from that. In that, you know, when people, you see people in local communities who are, their, their children or their spouse or, you know, parent is struggling with addiction. There was a time when the first person they would call was, you know, that beat patrolman or woman who, you know, who they had had a relationship with to say, listen, you know, I think something's going on with so-and-so and can you come in and talk to them? Those, you don't see that as much. I know we still see it around the country because I talk to law enforcement every day. 
But we need to highlight those things across the country and that that law enforcement uh, organization in your local community is a safe space, is somewhere you can go. They're not just they're not just focused on solely those enforcement of law types of interactions. They really want to have those non enforcement types of interactions. Um, you know, and we've just lost the ability across the country to feel comfortable in moving in that direction. And so everything we do here is about you know, we're trying to reconnect, um, you know, we go around the country and we're, and we're, I hate to use the word training because training has become such a buzzword, um, you know, about what kind of training everybody needs across the country. And we're, we're talking to both communities, we're in communities speaking, we're talking to law enforcement, but thinking about, you know, you would think that starting a conversation would be easy for most people. It's become really difficult. And I don't know if it's just become greater as a, as a symptom of COVID and everyone's been, you know, confined to their homes for so long over the last year. But it's almost like we have to relearn how to engage one another uh, and to walk towards each other. And so that's what we're trying to do here. But it's those non-enforcement types of interactions that we're constantly encouraging uh, law enforcement across the country. You know, walk that beat, walk into that store, walk into that coffee shop. Um, we got to get rid of the fear to do it. Yeah. And, and it starts with understand the understanding the humanity of the other person mm-hmm. yeah. and you raise a really good point i think just looking back uh, sort of analyzing this last year and i think that down the road academics the phd students of the future are going to be doing lots of paper and research on this last year and the effects of this last year and i think that's what happened is th- we've lost the humanity you know we've Law, you know, we we generalize entire groups of people. Yes, we do. Um, yes. You know, before we came on the air, you and I were <clears throat> involved in a, a conversation about how I I was speaking to a gentleman recently that made the statement that all you cops are bad. Every single cop is bad. If you are in law enforcement, you carry a badge. You are a bad person, and I don't think that's unique to this individual. I think that large sections of our society feel that way right now. But that's dehumanizing, right? You don't want to say that about any group. You don't want to say all doctors are bad because there's one bad doctor out there. All lawyers are bad. All a person with this particular skin color is bad. We, we know that that's not. I mean, I think common sense tells you that you cannot label people in that way. But COVID and the lockdowns have kind of made it easy to do that. And yes. we've lost that connection. And I think that these programs where you go, those non-enforcement situations that you're talking about, I think are good because when you are meeting an officer, an agent, like in our case, the you know an FBI agent, and you're meeting them and you're seeing that they are a person, you're seeing that they have interests, they like music, they like to mm-hmm. work out, they like to play you know football and and you get to see them as human beings they have families too and -hmm. you can see that not all because that's that the problem right now is we are an all or nothing society right now you're either all good or you're all bad and that's not true of any situation and uh and i think that that's important because uh for those that listen to this program and these are people that that listen to this program are in recovery or need to be in recovery or you know somebody that needs to be in recovery having those sort of uh, blocks and those roadblocks are very very dangerous because i know when you're struggling with addiction when you're at that point when you're at that point where you finally say i need to go to treatment or i need to go to an aa meeting an na meeting or whatever meeting you could have a process addiction a sex addiction a gambling addiction whatever it is but when you've gotten to that point that step one i'm powerless i'm powerless over alcohol i'm powerless over sex i'm powerless over drugs or whatever and my life has become unmanageable 
right? When you've gotten to that point, you need help and you need help for wherever you can get it. And there are so many people in law enforcement that have this background. You know, take me, for example. I I genuinely would drop anything I'm doing to help any human being, and I do not care who you are. And and that's where that's the place I'm at in my life. But the problem I'm experiencing right now is the person that needs the help isn't receiving it. So it, it's almost like, uh, imagine, if you will, Julie, being in the Atlantic, and you're, you're, you're drowning. You're out there in the water, and... Uh, you you see uh, a lifeboat come up, and somebody throws you that that uh, rescue buoy, and you say, "Oh, I don't like the color of that buoy. I want a different color." Okay, well, you're drowning in the Atlantic. Well, I don't want that buoy. Then the next mm-hmm. boat comes up. Well, I don't like uh, I don't like you. I uh, actually want you know I relate to women. I want a woman to come rescue me. And then a helicopter flies over and you keep refusing the help because, well, I don't want to, I don't want a helicopter. I want Uh another ship to come along and, and we're picking and choosing where we get the help from. And that's how I feel right now in our society Uh is that there are different avenues to get help from, but we're saying, but we don't like it because it's coming from that person or that organization. Uh And that's a very dangerous place to be. Uh Right. Well, I think it really speaks to how, you know, this, I always say that the strength of our communities is only built on mutual respect um, and understanding. And so, you know, the, the more there can be mutual respect, understanding on both sides, hard conversations need to be had. And by having those hard conversations and rebuilding that respect and understanding of one another, that is how our communities, all communities get stronger. And that is how we all become safer on both sides. And so, you know, it's a matter of being willing to take that step towards one another. I imagine just like in a recovery, it's taking that first step. Mm-hmm. And and until you take that first step, you're just going to continue to spiral. And that is what's happening in our communities. We see our communities spiraling. Mm-hmm. We see an entire profession spiraling, mm-hmm. mass, re- you know, mass um, retirements, ma- you know, people leaving the profession. You know, we need and police. people not going into it even after when right. they leave, people aren't going. I, I actually don't know of one young person in my world, not one, that yeah. has said, you know what, I want to go into law enforcement. Well, <laughs> I've not you know, seen you, it. You, and you know what? And, and we even, you know, our daughter, um, 23, studied psychology and criminal justice in college. She's on to her master's degree. And, you know, we, we, she was raised by in the law enforcement family. And we are incredibly hesitant to encourage her to go into the profession. And this is a profession that Dan and I strongly, um, you know, we, we raised our family in a law enforcement family. It's you know, been your Dan whole life. Did, it's Dan been, spent, I know it's been Dan's whole yeah, life. Yeah. Dan spent 30 some years in law enforcement. And so, um, you know, it's, it's important to us. It's equally important to us that we see, um, our communities rebuilding, but, you know, equally important to us to see the law enforcement community rebuilding as well. And so, of course, there needs to be change. Of course, there needs to be dialogue. You know, of course, we need to talk nationally about what is the solution. What we need to stop having nationally is the divisive rhetoric, you know, and, and the conversations that continue to divide folks. Um, you know, so yeah, so it's interesting to us to see our children um, getting ready to make those steps into their adulthood and to say, okay, what's my profession going to be? My preference would be that you wait on this profession. Uh, now, she didn't show a desire to go into the profession. She wants to get into forensic psychology and, mm-hmm. you know, so she'll still have her hand in law enforcement in some respect. 
But, uh, you know, there's, I have fear. I have fear to watch my daughter, you know, put on a uniform and a belt and, and, and to, and to go out there. But that is exactly what we need to get away from. You know, I, I don't want to be fearful for my children to want to go in that profession if that's what they want to do. No, and it's such a shame because I really, and I, I was telling somebody about this yesterday, that for all the folks that are out there, and, and if you're listening to this podcast and you fit into this category, I want you to listen closely to what I'm saying. If you think that the problems that we are having in law enforcement today are because there are bad apples, there's bad people, and there's lack of leadership, and there are bad apples, and there is a lot of lack of leadership going around. Mm-hmm. I'm not denying that. But if you think that it's bad now, the way that we are treating this situation and causing officers to leave in the staggering numbers that they are, the only people that you're going to have go into law enforcement are exactly the people that you don't want to go into law enforcement. And then you give them time to get into the leadership positions. And if you think the leadership bad is now, you wait 10 years and you're really not going to like the leadership that's in law enforcement. And that's what I fear for. And mm-hmm. and I hope that we can rebuild this. And I, uh, you know, I think part of this, and maybe you'll agree with this, is that um, I, I, my experience with particularly minority groups going around the country is that you know, people, kids are taught from a very young age to not trust the police and not like the police. And so consequently, a lot of people that are in, in marginalized and minority groups don't go into law enforcement. And that's exactly the opposite of what you want to have happen. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think one way that we fix this problem is, you know, people that are underrepresented, encourage these kids to go into law enforcement. And, you know, if you don't like the system, then become part of the system and help change the system. And, um, but I think we're sending the wrong message. We need to get more and more people involved Uh because um, I know my life experience has been, and I'm sure your has, has been too. Listen, if you're not part of that conversation or if you're not part of the organization, then you're never going to change the organization. So if you don't like it, then get in it and, and help, you know, be, be, be part of the solution. Stop being part of the problem and start being part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, I sat yesterday with a number of law enforcement officials from around the greater Atlanta area, and, and we're working on a few projects together. And, you know, we we talked about them, their desire for people to just approach them, to ask them, ask me, ask me what I think about what's going on. Ask me, you know, what my belief is. Ask me where, you know, sort of my moral compass is. Uh, you know, they're they're desiring, like I said earlier on our conversation, there is a real thirst in law enforcement to uh, have the, that dialogue, again, the positive dialogue. They're not always going to be easy conversations. They can be ugly conversations, but mm-hmm. at least it's a conversation. And I tell you, uh, 99.9% of the law enforcement officials are going to understand that you want to tell them something that's going to be really hard to hear because that is where you're coming from. Uh, and, and, and equally so for them. I mean, it's a really difficult place for them to be in as well. And so, you know, I, and I said this, it's about reconciliation and recovery. This nation needs to recover from an incredibly long year, uh, an incredibly divisive rhetoric that has been through our country for years and uh, just begin to cross that bridge to walk towards each other. You know, we talk about we need to walk hand in hand. Well, you can't walk hand in hand until you've actually approached one another. Um, and so that's really what everything that we do here is about building that bridge, reconciliation, getting into the communities uh, and having those hard conversations. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And I absolutely agree. 
And there's no problem with having that that ugly conversation as long mm-hmm. as you have it. Yep. And, you know, people listen to one another. And, you know, like this this individual that uh, that I mentioned that I had a conversation with, uh, you know, obviously I don't I don't know this individual's history. I don't know what led to this individual believing that every single person is bad. I, I don't know. But I do know that that's not going to improve until that individual opens their mind and at least has a conversation. Um, because I know in the recovery world that until you stop putting your guard up and you do put some trust in other people mm-hmm. that have a message that can help and can maybe help you, you're not going to get better. And I believe, like you just mentioned, that the entire country needs to be in recovery of one form or another. Um, I've Here's a thought that I had, Julie, and see your thoughts on this. So the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm, and I'm using the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous because every repro- recovery program that's out there worldwide uh, uh, are variations of the 12 steps. People have, <laughs> I always love how people are always trying to improve upon the 12 steps, which are tried and true, right? But people <laughs> do. So there's a lot of programs that are out there that uh, try to do different things, but um, at the end of the day, they, they are variations of the, the 12 steps. So um, when you're talking about step one, you're talking about that uh, powerlessness and unmanageability, right? We're powerless. You and I in our community is powerless over what happened this last year. We had no power over COVID, what happened. Mm-hmm. We had no power over uh, when thing, you know COVID hitting and then everything circling out of control. You and I had no uh, power over what ha- what Derek Chauvin did up in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and we're all victim. You know, and by the way, as a law enforcement guy, I looked at that and I was like, oh my God. God, are you kidding uh-huh. me? Uh-huh. What in the world are you doing? And and now all cops are labeled. You know, uh, Julie, I don't know about you. I actually don't know any, I don't know any human being in my world, anybody that has looked at that video and said, yeah, I'm okay with that. I don't know anybody yeah. that's okay. And people forget that cops are the same way. We all look at that and went, dude, what were you thinking when you did that? All right. Mm-hmm. So we're all in agreement, right? But we're powerless over what happened there. And then, of course, the unmanageability. So the second and third steps are we're realizing that there's a power greater than us. I'm not trying to get overly spiritual or religious, but we, we understand that there's a power of the universe that's greater, that nature, if you will, is greater than us, right? And then four and five, we're going to make that, we're going to do an inventory. We're going to do an inventory of our national life. You know, in, in recovery, it's your life. You know, you're doing an inventory of your life, of all the good, the bad, and, and, and you're listing out everything that happened and identifying what your part, what your part in that was, right? And then sharing that with somebody else. That's step five. And, and identifying those defects that were there, identifying them, and doing a very thorough search of all those issues and then sharing that. And six and seven is going to be identifying those those issues and then asking to re- work on removing those defects that we've identified, right? And then um, when we get into uh, seven and eight, we're going to be looking at who's been harmed. Who's been harmed? Identifying who did we harm and then making that reconciliation into in step nine, Right, and then and then ten is going to be making that daily inventory. That's what you do in recovery, like that daily inventory of did I harm somebody today, and can I correct that situation? So let's say on the national scene, you know, if somebody has been truly harmed, really correcting that, 
correcting that harm immediately, not waiting until tomorrow, but correcting it now. And then 11, pursuing our spiritual development as a nation. And really, it's just that development forward. And then 12, having, having, having had that spiritual awakening, carrying the message to others. And that's, so that's a synopsis. That's a real Cliff Notes mm-hmm. version of the 12 steps. But I've often thought about how we can take those concepts and apply them to our communities and to our nation. Because we need that right now. We really right. do. Right. We need it as and people you, and we need it as right. a community. Right. And you hit on something when you said, you know, this is not, it's, it's not meant to, it's not necessarily spiritual, you know, uh, in our organization with the faith and blue, uh, initiative, you know, that there's the blue, but then there's faith. And so th- it's not a religious movement. Uh, it's not meant to be spiritual movement, but there is an entire community that is in- incredibly powerful across this country. And it is the faith community of yeah. all faiths, yep. of every faith you can think of which are, are meant to be our safe spaces. And so if we could get those you know, 65 million people across the country who attend worship services across this country to really stand together and rebuild those relationships with law enforcement, it, it's a powerful force. And so, you know, we need to lean in on those relationships and leverage those, those, the faith communities and in our local communities, have law enforcement work with the, the churches, the mosques, the synagogues, the temples in their local communities, you know, make sure your local police officers are meeting with and have met the, the houses of worship that are in their, in their precincts and in their beat, you know, walk in, introduce yourself. We're talking about this all the time. It's a, it's not meant to be a, a spiritual movement or a religious movement, but it, it is a community that we find safe space in. Uh, and we feel like the conversations that can be had within the faith community as it, as it relates to law enforcement can be incredibly productive conversations. And so the faith and the blue um, in our organization is what we're trying to do. We're trying to leverage those faith communities to help us rebuild the community uh, engagement in the local communities with law enforcement. Yeah, and I think that this last year, too, I mean, speaking of which, the, the faith community was not unaffected by the pandemic either. I mean, people oh, yeah. aren't. That has been a gathering place. Uh, as you know, right. uh, many, many, many churches, there's a long tradition of uh, a, a church. many churches around the country hosting AA meetings. Mm-hmm. And those have been shut down, and and just us getting together and, and congregating. I, you know, I think in my my case, I think in the last year, I've physically been in my own church twice in in a whole same, year. Same, same. right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's that has to have had a negative effect. And so as things mm-hmm. as a country starts to open up, and we are slowly starting to open back up, you know, hopefully those are you know places where we can meet, and in these these places of worship in the faith communities, you know, hopefully can be that common ground, that bridge, if you will, to mm-hmm. reconnect these communities. It's been a rough year. It really has. It really has. In all respects. In all respects. It's been an incredibly rough year. So, Julie, how can everybody get hold of you guys? If they want, if uh, any of the listeners want to reach out to you, uh, your organization, um, how, how can they do that? So, in talking about the Faith and Blue initiative, if you, uh, your listeners go to faithandblue.org, and and is spelled out, so faithandblue.org, that you'll, they'll see all the information about what is going on in that initiative across the country. Uh, and then it's just the same. Uh, my organization is called Movement Forward. Uh, all one, it's all one word together, Movement Forward. If they go to movementforward.org, they'll go to our uh, main website, and there they'll see who our team is are some of our initiatives we've got uh the faith and blue initiative we also have uh the one cop initiative which is uh short for one congregation one precinct 
Uh, that is an initiative that pairs local law enforcement uh, beat level patrol men and women to houses of worship um, within their precinct and their beats. And they actually build partnerships between um, those local departments uh, and the houses of worship within their within their um, their agency's jurisdiction. And so, you know, Faith in Blue initiative is an extension of our One Cop initiative, which has been around for a number of years. So movementforward.org and faithandblue.org are great ways to find us. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And and folks, I, I encourage you to reach out to, to Julie and her organization because it's, it's really good work. And I think that this is just fantastic information. And Julie, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. So uh, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. So according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. And, you know, folks, as as always, I like to say, I don't represent any group. I know I talk about AA and I talk about some other uh, uh, groups that are at the recovery groups, but I don't represent any of them. I just talk about what's helped me and what may help you. Uh, You know, please reach out to any of these groups to get help if that's something that you need. So, Um, I hope my only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me and maybe it will help you too. So if I've said anything that does not apply to you or you don't agree with, that's okay. Just try to take something that does apply to you and use it to better yourself and and help others because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we want to help impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how we're doing. Follow us on Facebook. Reach out to me. Give me your comments, your concerns. Follow us. Share this podcast. Send it far and wide because we certainly need help out there in our community. But I look forward to seeing you guys soon and take care.